Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. It's like the nicest, mild uh, music I've heard. It, yeah, it's like, oh, and now it's me. Uh, hey, welcome uh, to Lighthouse. My name's Fritz. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you are here today. I especially want to welcome all of our guests who are here in the house. I do want to welcome those who are joining online, Lighthouse Online, uh, wherever you're at. Uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I think in America, and especially in the Midwest, uh, you cannot go through your childhood without playing some version of Simon Says. Have you, have you played this game? Do you know what I'm talking about? Simon Says. Okay, so we're going to play it this morning for those who haven't, okay? Some of you guys, I, what is Simon Says? But we're going to put a twist on it. We're calling it Fritz Says. Right? Okay. Yes. This is why. This is why I think that the game should have been named from the beginning. Quite frankly, I don't know why Simon's so great. Anyways, uh, so Fritz says, and so I'm going to give some commands. I'm going to ask you guys to follow them, and we'll see how that goes. So we're going to go ahead and get started. I'd like everybody, stand up if you would. Go ahead, just stand up right where you're at. Yep. Go ahead. Wonderful. Oh, yep. Out. 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 Yes. I never said Fritz says. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> All right. Fritz says, stand up, please, if you're here in the house. Or if you're joining us online. Okay, Fritz says, turn to one of your neighbors and give them a high five. Wonderful. Turn to the person you didn't pick and give them a high five. Yes. Out. Out. (laughs) Out. I didn't say Fritz says. I didn't say Fritz says. Yes. Okay. All right. Fritz says, have a seat. Fritz says, have a seat. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Fritz says, be sad. (laughs) All right. Okay, uh, this one will be interesting. Fritz says, be angry. Oh, okay. Somebody somebody didn't have breakfast over here, I think. I heard their stomach growling. Okay, last one. Fritz says, love. (laughs) I don't know. I, I saw somebody put an arm around someone else. Someone else went, aww. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Yeah, hey, so here, here's the thought. So on the first half, that was great. It was wonderful. But the, the last three commands, those were challenging, right? Because uh, you, none of us actually were sad. You just kind of like had a frowny face on for a moment or, you know. And when you said angry, you know, you just got like, ah, Hulk smash. All right? But you weren't really, you, didn't, you weren't angry. You weren't feeling angry. And then the last one I said love. And you're kind of like, a lot of you were going, uh, I don't know how to do that on command, right? And so that's challenging. And, and let me add another layer of challenge on that. Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another. He commanded it. And so if your brain maybe works similar to the way that my brain works, how in the world do you command an emotion? How do you command someone to feel something when they don't feel it? Unless... Our understanding of love is so limited that we're not even sniffing at Jesus' definition of what true love is 
And, and actually, the Lord has to open up our minds and our spirits to the reality of the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. That love, maybe love is far more than an emotion in and of itself, right? And so today, what I want to do is I want to show you from the Bible that Jesus does command his followers to love, why he commands his followers to love, and then I, I want to show how how we can actually obey this command. And so if you brought a Bible with you, we're in John chapter 13. Uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, we're in this series called Unselfishly Committed. It's actually the last week that we're in this series. We've been going through John 13 for the last few weeks, looking at some of Jesus' final words, where he is really helping the disciples to see and understand what does it mean to live a life that is unselfishly committed to the people around us. And that's where we're going to be at today. Uh, and I do want to let you know we're doing something a little bit unique other than playing Fritz says. Uh, but also I've invited uh, one of our elders, Marty Cotter, is going to come up and he's going to help teach a portion of this morning's message. And so if you do me a favor, when he does come up, if you would give him a really, really warm Lighthouse community welcome, uh, that would be a really blessing, a really good blessing to him. Uh, and that'll be great. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to take just a moment. Let's uh, pray and turn our hearts and attention again to the Lord. <clears throat> God, this this topic, this this subject that we're going to be looking at, these verses we're going to be looking at, um, there's a level where it seems that if I read these, I can read right on by them and go, yeah, yeah. And yet I think you are exposing something that is of greater depth than what we know how to do on our own. And we really do need the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to grasp this. And so Holy Spirit, I am asking you, no, I'm I'm begging you. I know you're here. I know you're among your people. I'm begging you, would you open our eyes and open our hearts to see the truth and the reality of what Jesus is teaching us about being one of your followers? We ask this humbly, but also expectantly in the great name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Okay, John chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 31, um, and we'll read a couple verses into that. It says this, when he, meaning Judas, uh, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, 
there's just a couple of passages I want to zone in on for a moment, and it's verses 34 and 35 when Jesus gives this command to love one another. And there's just three ideas I want to put in front of you very, very quickly. And the first idea is this, is that Jesus did command his followers to love one another. Now, this idea of a command, that's not language we use a ton in our culture or where we're at. And so it's this command, this is an instruction. This is a direction given by one who is in authority. And so what you have happening here is you have a superior providing direction or instruction for a subordinate. And so if it's a command, this is not like a, well, if you get around to it, well, this is a good idea in some situations. No, this is Jesus saying, this is how it works in my kingdom. And if you're going to be one of my followers and what this reveals is a very important truth about Jesus, because if Jesus is giving commands, that must mean that he's the one who's in authority. By the way, Matthew 28, verse 18, before Jesus ascends to heaven, after he's resurrected from the, from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm in charge, right? I am the boss. I am the manager. I am El Presidente, right? I am the one who gives the commands, right? I am the superior. Uh, in fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 refers to Jesus as the head of the church. Again, he's in charge, right? He's the boss. And so Jesus gives this command to his disciples, and the command is love. Love one another. And and we've already kind of felt the tension of that. It's like, well, how do, you, how do you command somebody to feel something? How do you command somebody to have an emotion, right? We, we, you can't do that. You either feel it or you don't feel it. It's not really there. And so what that means is love actually may have a much deeper understanding that can include emotions, but it's much, much more than emotion. And so I want to give you the definition we've been using this whole series to talk about love. This is what love is. If you've ever wondered, right, love is this. It is an unselfish commitment to another through your actions. That's what love is. Love is unselfish commitment to another through your actions. And so you begin to see this is, this is far more than feelings. It can include feelings. It can include emotions, but it's so much larger than how you feel in the moment. In fact, love is a decision to serve another person for their well-being more than it is for your own well-being. Right? It is a decision. It's an act of the will to serve and bless another person, irrespective of what it may or may not cost me. That's the biblical understanding of love, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Actually, let's do this. Let's read this passage out loud together, beginning with God clearly shows. Are you ready? Go. But God clearly shows and proves his by the fact that while we were still sinners. So what Romans is saying is God has shown his unselfish commitment to you. And here's how he does it. While you were still his enemy. That's how that's translated. While you were still on the other side of the battle line. 
when you were still shaking your fist in the face of God, when you were still telling God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'm not interested in your leadership, Christ died for you. That is how unselfishly committed God is to you. That while you and I were spitting in his face, living life however we want to live it, he was providing the solution so that we could be brought into a relationship with him. And so Jesus commanded his followers to love one another. By the way, Jesus would not give you a command that you could not obey. Let me say that again because that is very important. Jesus would never give you a command that you would not be able to obey. But why would Jesus command his disciples to love one another? Well, it's, it's very simple. It's because God is love, right? Jesus, of course, Jesus would command his followers to love because God is love, right? In fact, the apostle John writes a letter to some churches and twice in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16, he simply says this, God is love. God is love. God is unselfish commitment to others. That's who he is. That's his nature. Love originates from him. And so, by the way, any, any moment you've ever had where you've experienced some form of love, a husband to a wife, a mother to a son, a friend to a friend, some form of love in this world have all been little, tiny, microscopic glimpses of God's love for you. And they all pale. They don't even show up as blips on the radar of God's love, Right? And because God himself is love. And that's why Jesus commands it. See, God has been in an unselfishly committed relationship for all of eternity. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, did you know that God doesn't need you? Isn't that a warm feeling? God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He's not bored. He's not looking for something to do, right? He's always had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has always been in a love relationship, in an unselfish, unselfishly committed relationship with himself. The Father loves the Son, who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father, who loves the Son, who loves the Spirit, right? It's all wrapped up in there. And God invites you into his perfect love relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. You're invited into that. But it's only through faith in Christ. And so Jesus commands love because he is love. So of course he would command it. And one of the reasons Jesus commands his followers to love, and this is the third point, is that love for one another is evangelism. Right? Love for one another is evangelism. See, what Jesus is doing here is he goes, listen, guys, I'm going to be leaving. That's how he's starts out this portion. I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be gone. You can't go with me where I'm going right now. And so there's this level. It's like, okay, think about this practically. How do people in that time know that the disciples are disciples of Jesus? How do they know? Well, because they're with him, right? They're walking around with him. They're eating with him. They're talking with him. They're sitting at his teachings. They're handing out, you know, bread and fish sticks. They're doing all this stuff, but they're always doing it with Jesus. But now Jesus is going to be gone. So how will people know? How will people know that you're a follower of Jesus? What Jesus says, when I leave, the way that people are going to know you belong to me is the way you love one another. That'll be the mark. That's how people will know that you belong to me. 
right? This, this is right along the lines. If you remember, or maybe you've never heard, there's a lawyer comes to Jesus. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all the scriptures? What's his reply? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Bible rests on that idea. Love God and love others. And, and you see this when you fast forward, you look at the book of Acts chapter two, right? All these people come to faith. And they just start just throwing all of their energy and their time into loving God and into loving one another. And at the end of chapter two of Acts, it says this, as people are devoting themselves to prayer and the apostles teaching and breaking of bread and gathering one another's homes, they're serving one another, they're loving one another, all this kind of stuff. Chapter two, verse 47, verse 47 says this, that they were, the Lord was adding to their number daily. Why? Because of their love for one another. People knew they were followers of Jesus by the way that they loved one another. You've got to know that God actually uses your unselfish commitment shown towards another person to actually open up the eyes of people around you to the gospel. He uses that, right? He uses your love. And so Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another because he is love and because love for one another is evangelism. And that's why he does that. And so for this next part of the sermon, I've invited uh, one of our elders, Marty Cotter, to come and share this part. So I'm wondering, will you give a warm, warm welcome to Marty Cotter this morning? All right. Uh, thanks, Lighthouse. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Fritz. Man, you, uh, you teach so well and so clearly. It's like you get locked in, right? And now I'm going to try to Reset the brain here for a minute. We've been going over John 13 for the last few weeks, and uh, we can see it, right? Like, can you guys see the scene in your mind right now? The, the disciples are leaning into Jesus' teaching right now, and we're, we're kind of figuring out what's to come next. For me, does anybody in here like movies? Anybody ever go to the movies, right? How about uh, Marvel fans? Do we have any Marvel fans, right? Yeah, Marvel fans. That's for me. As a matter of fact, like my oldest daughter and I, uh, we've had this tradition that's come in where every time a Marvel movie's coming out, uh, we go to the midnight, midnight showing, the first night it comes out. Those aren't even midnight showings anymore. They moved them up to like seven o'clock. But the, the midnight showings where we could like go and uh, we wanted to see to know what was going to happen next. And, and kind of selfishly, we wanted to make sure that there were no spoilers, right? Like we didn't want anybody to come and tell us be like, man, did you see what happened? And then this, and then the post-credit scene. All that. We didn't want that. We wanted to be the first in so that nobody could spoil it for us. Well, here, we, we just kind of see that Jesus is kind of like the spoil alert, spoiler alert champion of the world, right? He comes in and over and over again, he keeps teaching. Back in verse 31, he, he points back. He says, now, pointing back at Judas and saying, now, that I told you I'm going to be betrayed and Judas is going to betray me. Uh, spoiler alert, here comes that. And then off it goes, right? Jesus is sent here by God, walks the disciples through that story again. The story of man is glorifying, the, the son of man is here glorifying God, living the life we couldn't live and walking the path that we couldn't walk, preparing to make a sacrifice that only he can make, glorifying God in obedience and therefore being glorified in this miserable and awful, necessary in, in this triumphant walk to and through the cross. Jesus knows what's to come. He knows what he must do. Yet he continues to dedicate himself to teaching and preparation of those around him. It's, uh, it's like that old question. If you knew you only had 24 hours to live, what would you do? 
Fritz, I don't know, what, what, if you had 24 hours to live, would it have been like watching a double overtime game versus the Lakers last night, right? Or, or would we do something different? We, Jesus actually shows us what he would do with his last 24 hours, right? He, uh, he sits, and, and what a joy it is for us to be on this side of the cross, to be people who can see the truth that uh, we can honor him and recognize what he's done for us through his perfect life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. God loves us so deeply. In fact, there's somebody here today that I think maybe you need to hear this. God loves you so deeply that he sent his son to the cross to die for you, to bring you back into relationship with him. So Jesus continues to teach. uh, If you're a follower of Christ, according to these words from Jesus, we are to love one another so deeply that the people around us would would know that we're fellow Christians and followers of Christ. Look how Jesus has shown this love for his disciples and washing their feet. He washed all 12 disciples' feet. That included Judas. He knew what was to come from Judas. He knew what to expect from Judas. And he washed Judas' feet, as they taught on a couple weeks ago, right? This is not the love that's like, I love pizza and ice cream. Those are my two favorite food groups. And, you know, Jack and Doe's is right around the corner. That's baller. If you've never had that, you should get in on that. Um, it's not that kind of love, right? This is the, the love that serves humbly and loves unconditionally and is soon to be nailed to the cross sort of love. In the midst of that reality, Jesus just keeps providing clarity. And uh, the, people that, the people knew that followers of Christ because they were literally following Christ, as first just said a minute ago, it was like easy. It's like, oh, these guys are followers of Christ because there's Jesus and they're following him. But now everything's about to, everything's about to shift as he's leaving them. And, and Christ's love becomes the differentiator. The fact that we can love like he is loving us changes everything. So I ask you that, how are we loving? Am I loving people in a way that it's easy to see that there's uh, something different about how I love? Time for another spoiler alert. Earlier in this chapter, we see Peter denying that Jesus would ever wash his feet. He's like, no, Jesus, you can't do it. I'll do anything. I'll follow you all the way to death, and uh, you can't go without me. I'm with you, right, Peter? Typical Peter. I heard it said best by uh, some other teacher. I can't place it right now, but he, he said, like, you know, Peter typically would take one foot out of his mouth just long enough to put the other foot in his mouth, right? And that's what happens here is, you know, Jesus goes, look, Peter, you're not even going to make it to the rooster crows, right? You're going to deny even knowing me. So while you sit here with me now and you profess, uh, you're, you're, I'm going to die for you, you'll deny even knowing me in just short time. He's actively being betrayed. He's about to be denied. And he keeps teaching and he keeps loving and he keeps doing the things that uh, he, he's knowing that his, what his path is and he's following it all the way to the crucifixion. While we deny Jesus, he dies for us. Our sin, my sin, separates me from God and there is nothing that we in our power can do to fix it. But God... Shift gears to another spoiler alert. Jesus is going to prepare a place for them and for us. He's going to pay the price that we couldn't pay for sin. He's setting up so we can be brought back into relationship. And uh, good news, guys, we don't need an Uber, right? He tells us, spoiler alert, I'll come get you. I'm going to set it up, and I'm going to come pick you back up. In the meantime, I'll go ahead and send you a helper. I'll send you the Holy Spirit to help you love people the way that I loved you and the way that you're called to love. I keep joking about the spoiler alert part, but when you really look at this, when you really look at what Jesus is teaching and telling us, you know that he has such a vision and intimate knowledge of who we are 
in how we, how we ought to be and how we ought to act, it's humbling to know that he knows me better than I know me. He's provided that helper to us to show the love, the helper. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the activator that allows us to love and serve God the way that we ought to. Lighthouse community, are you participating in the back half of your name? Are you in community right now? Are you living in community and with each other like these guys were in this moment? One of the best ways to live in community is to be connected to a community group. Right in the middle of a session right now, it's not too late to join. They have all sorts of nights of the week that those things are available to you. You should join one. No matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, this can be one of the places that you can grow and learn and enjoy the presence of the Lord. For my wife and I, we've seen, and and really my family, we have seen miracles done through community groups. One of our favorite stories, when, when we were early on in life, we were part of a community group that uh, the things we had in common were like, we were all pretty young, and we all had a bunch of really young kids, and we were all broke. So we, we, we could do that. Like when we talked about, hey guys, on Friday night, we're going to try to make sure that we have some food, and we'll share some food, and like three or four people wanted to talk about how they were, which ramen they were going to make, right? They were going to do it differently. <laughs> that kind of broke, right? And uh, we were praying. We're like, God, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you with our ways. What are you calling us to do? And, and God kind of, he, he trickled it in. It was like, we knew it had something to do with water and we wanted to serve orphans and we didn't know what it was. And then finally, God kind of put it on one of the people in the group. They go, hey, look, there's this orphanage. Uh, it's in Honduras and, and they need a well. They're, they're spending the majority of their days going to get water from a place that's not, that, that's not that good of drinking water. And if we could do that, we could really provide well for this orphanage. Trick is, it costs like $10,000 to do this, and we don't have $10,000 collectively. We didn't have $10,000. Combine all the bank accounts. Like I said, we're broke people. And so we just start praying. We just go, hey, God, we don't, we don't know how to do this. We don't know what to do, but we believe that you're calling us to serve these people that we'll likely never meet, and they won't know who we are. We're supposed to do something here. And so we pray, and then there's an idea, and then there's another idea, and we start trying to just... Do, do that step, right? Where it's like, okay, God, we're going to try to, hey, there's something there. All right, God, we're going to take this next step of obedience and we believe and we believe in, hey, there's another step there. And it happens. And in 13 short weeks, the $10,000 provided and it's like, wow, what a joy. That's something that we can celebrate. God did it. But we didn't know. When you lean in to what God has for you and you really actually say like, hey, God, we're going to do what you say and we see what the Holy Spirit can do and how it can be the multiplier of our obedience, somebody else, I don't know their name, I don't know who they are, heard about what was going on and goes, man, I want to be a part of that. Whatever, didn't tell us until after it was over. He goes, whatever they end up raising, I'm going to double it. And so we were like, holy smokes, this is amazing. And so as people are finding out about this and there's this scuttlebutt going on in this small community about what's happening, they say, you know, the reason that that well only lasts so long is because they really need a water tower. If they had a water tower, that thing would help them to last a long time. And we could hire some local people, and so we'd be putting jobs in and all this. Long story short, there's a a few more cool steps that happen in there, and a couple more people start throwing in and piling on money. They build the well. They build the water tower. They provide all of the educational needs and food for the students for a couple of years for the orphans that are there. I've never met them. I've never known them, but I know that they felt loved by some people in rural central Illinois that just said, hey, God, we're okay. Whatever you say, we want to step into that. That's the opportunity you have with a community group. If you're not in the community group today, get there. 
Because you'll see, I'm not saying that you're going to go build a well somewhere, but you'll have an opportunity to love the people that are in your community and see what God might have for you and see how he could multiply your obedience. Another uh, practical step to, to serve and find out what God is trying to call you to is to just serve somewhere, anywhere. I don't know if you guys heard it. If you're on this side of the room, you could probably hear it. The, uh, the lighthouse kids in here, they're balling out. They're having a great time. And there's people in there that for those parents that are in here with your kids there, they're serving you and loving you well right this very moment. At both Lighthouse and Bluffton, the kids are booming. We got, we got things going on that the uh, kids' ministries are growing. So that's a joy. Would you be the sort of person that could say, hey, you know what? I can, I can snuggle a baby in a nursery, right? I could hold a baby while serving their parents so that they could come in here and enjoy and musically worship and learn, right? Could you be the sort of person that goes and shares the gospel with a kindergartner or a first grader and, and actually tries to help plant seeds that'll come and flourish later on in life? Maybe that's not for you. Maybe you're, you're willing to serve coffee and donuts. We saw it all over the place today or welcome somebody in the door or mop a floor or clean a toilet, whatever it is. When you serve the Lord, you'll see that he can multiply that and show love to all sorts of people all the way around you. And it's worth it. You should find a spot. It's easy in, easy off. If you get in and you're like, man, this holding a baby thing, I got thrown up three times. I'm out. Uh, step out. It's okay, right? You can go into another thing. There's, there's something for you. In verse 34 and 35, uh, Jesus tells the disciples to love one another just as he has loved them. Uh, and if they do, the world will know. So let's take inventory of that. Jesus loved them. Jesus loves us in spite of the mistakes, in spite of, in spite of my pride, in spite of my selfishness, in spite of my self-leadership. Jesus loves me. Can you feel the warmth in that? He knows he knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows, he knows that I'm going to choose against him, and yet he loves me just as I am. And I'll say that again. That, like, this might be a moment for somebody else here that was like, hey, you needed to hear that Jesus loves you today. If there's something in your world that you're going like, yeah, that's, that's for somebody else in this room because I fill in the blank, or I have this fill in the blank. It's just as you are. He knows, and it's okay. Whatever mistakes you made, wherever you think's a barrier, Jesus can solve those things and help you bring you back into relationship with the Lord. So, do I love God and then therefore love others? Will I be uh, the best in? Will I believe the best in people when I contact people and, and try to make sure that I'm loving them the way that Jesus loves, in spite of whatever shortcomings they may have or whatever I think that they think about me? The most loving thing that we can do is point people towards Jesus' leadership in their lives as we model the same to help them say yes. Oh, and spoiler alert, saying yes to Jesus is the best decision anyone can make. Thanks, Marty. <clears throat> so just for the record, I do think that's the first time baller has been used here. And Jack and Doze, when you have all kinds of business today, you remember Lighthouse Community, all right, for our pizza needs in the future. <laughs> Thanks, Marty, man. Uh, really solid stuff. Um, listen, Jesus commanded his followers to love one another. You just, you can't get around it. It's there. What I find interesting is as soon as Jesus gives that command, Peter cuts him off, right? And he goes but I want to talk about what I want to talk about, <laughs> right? 
And so Jesus engages him right where he's at. And so just a note that if you want to hear more about what Jesus has to say about loving one another, he finishes his thought in James 15, or excuse me, uh, John 15, verses 9 through 17. And actually, this is the next step on your connection card that you might want to take. Um, that later this week, you would spend time reading John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, to see what Jesus had to say about what does it really look like to love one another the way that he has loved us. But Jesus has commanded you to love others. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's the way that people know you belong to him. You have to understand that. Loving one another is how people know you're a follower of Jesus. As much as I absolutely love seeing all of the Lighthouse t-shirts and hoodies and all those types of things, they're great. That is not how we let people know that we're followers of Jesus. It's not your voting record. It's not your giving record. It's not where you're at on Sunday morning. It's right. It's not that. It's how you love one another is how people know you belong to him. And, and I've got to tell you, I, I get what Peter's doing because it's tempting to think at times that there's something more urgent. There's something more important going on. Yes, yes, Jesus, I know. Love one another. We talk about it all the time. But I have something really serious going on. I have something very urgent that's happening. I need to know the answer to that thing right now. And listen, I know that some of you have some very urgent, pressing, important situations in your life right now. I get that. I am not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to tell you that they're not important. I'm not trying to tell you you should just skip over them, gloss over them, don't let them you know, affect you in any way whatsoever. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is that Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. And if you do have a troubled heart, the remedy is trust. The remedy is to trust God. The remedy is to trust Jesus. And there's a level where you have to choose to trust Jesus that when he says there will be nothing, you will never have anything more important than to love another person. You will never have anything more urgent than to love another person. You will never have anything more impacting than to love another person. And so I know you have this stuff going on. And if you feel the trouble in your heart, trust what Jesus has to say is true. And enjoy Jesus' love for you. And when you do that, you become a conduit to which you can give Jesus' love away to other people. And I just wonder, can you imagine what God might do in our region? if we really obeyed his command to love one another, irrespective of our feelings, irrespective of our emotions, that by an act of will and an empowering of the Holy Spirit, we would choose unselfish commitment to the people around us. I wonder whose life could God change because you love them the way that Jesus loves you. How might God use you simply to pray for another person, a friend, even a stranger in real time? How could God use that moment? How could God use like a real conversation with your neighbor or with a friend 
about what's going on in their life? What small act of kindness towards a coworker might change somebody's life or, or a kid at school? How might God use that? None of us have ever experienced unconditional love outside of God. That's the only place you get it. That's the only place you experience it. Every other love has some form of condition to it. If it's coming from humans, it, it just it's baked in, right? God is the only one we experience unconditional love from. And my question is, what might happen if another person caught a glimpse of that through you? How could God use that? So my last question for you to consider is, who is God inviting you to show his unselfish commitment towards in their life? I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I want to ask the question that we ask every single weekend, because I think it's an important one. And it's just simply this, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now through this teaching? Because I want to hear from you. And I want to give you a moment just to listen to him. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.